You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. You need to be a CPA. Now, when you hear those three letters together, C-P-A, most of us will be thinking of being a certified public accountant. Amen. You know, we're talking about income tax preparation. We're talking about auditing and bookkeeping and forensic accounting and managerial accounting and information technology. We're talking about a designation that requires a a college degree. It requires 150 hours of education, two years of public accounting experience, and the passing of a comprehensive certification exam. But there's another kind of CPA, and that's the CPA that I want to talk about today. As interesting as that is, as great a profession as that is, you see all of the requirements that go along with having that designation. There's another kind of CPA, and that CPA stands for Christian Practicing Accountant. Amen. I need you today to understand that you need to be a Christian practicing accountant. That means that you have mastered the ability to count. Amen. I need you to realize that as a believer, come on somebody, you need to be a Christian practicing accountant. And what you need to do more than anything is master the ability to count. And I want you to do it better than the person that you think of when you think about somebody who loves to count. There's only one person that comes to mind, and that's Count Von Count on Sesame Street. The count, that's what he did. Every time he saw something, the count says, we need to do what? We need to count it one building block, two building blocks, three, and then there will be the thunder and the lightning. If the, if the, if the number of the day was three, everything he counted came in threes. If it's four, if it's six, he says, I love to count and I need you to have that great, that same great love of counting. You and I need to learn how to count. We have to appreciate counting. Amen. Counting like the count on Sesame Street. To what end? To love God. With all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. Listen, listen, we are in a series that's, that we're talking about learning to love. Amen. And we started out in Matthew chapter 22 and we talked about, uh, you should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy Mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. But we talked about that, that, that standard of love. And we said, if you're going to love the Lord, if we're going to love the Lord, there must be an encounter. Amen. Then there must be enthusiasm. That means with all your heart. There must be engagement. That means with all your soul. There must be enlightenment. That means with all your mind. And then as we looked at the parallel passage, we said there must also be what? Endurance, which was with all your strength. If you're going to love God, that's the standard to which he deserves. To be loved. Who do you love? Are you for sure 
We talked about that. And then we said, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, we need to learn to love. And if we need to learn to love, the first thing I told you uh, about that was, if you're going to learn to love, you have to first learn to appreciate. Amen. Don't, don't, don't mind me as I get excited about reviewing what we already talked about. Amen. I, I think it's, it's, it's meat as it it would say in the Old Testament to bring you into remembrance. God did it all the time. He would always review with the people. Why? Because people have a tendency to forget. Amen. But I want us, I want to set this thing up so that you remember that, that here's the greatest love of all is the love that God has for us. The love that was demonstrated at the cross of Calvary. And then we, he asks us to love him. Why? Because he first loved us. So again, we have to learn to appreciate before we can learn to love. We have to learn to appreciate what? That God loved us first. God's pursuit in love is what we called it. God loved us first, and then we need to to appreciate what God's love looks like. That's not God's pursuit in love. That's God's perfection in love. Amen? We talked about God's pursuit in love. We talked about God's perfection in love. And if we can appreciate those two things, amen, we will be able to experience God's purpose for our lives, amen, and then rest in God's plans for our lives. Amen. That's what we were talking about in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, I want you to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's why we need to learn to love God. That's why we need to learn to appreciate. We need to appreciate God's pursuit in love. We need to appreciate God's perfection in love. Why? So we can experience God's purpose for our lives, which is to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then to rest in God's plans for our lives. As they unfold through circumstances. Amen. When I say rest in, that means no matter what happens, no matter what comes, you know God loves you. Amen. God's love is, as we would say, off the table. That's that's a settled issue. Even though circumstances can be unsettling, God's love for you and God's love for me is a settled Fact. Amen. It's a settled question that is not going to be unsettled by circumstance. Amen. God loves you. And he's demonstrated that love. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the ungodly. Listen, if you're going to learn to love, you've got to learn to appreciate. If you're going to learn to love, you've got to learn to count. You got to learn to count. And there are four things that you and I need to learn to count. I think we're only going to talk about one of them today. I thought we were going to talk about two, but I think we're only going to talk about one. But I'm going to give you all four just so you can get excited. You better learn how to count loss. You better learn how to count days. You better learn how to count cost. And you better learn how to count blessings. Just four. 
Just four things. Again, if you want to become a, a, a Christian practicing accountant, I'm not saying you got to do the 150 hours of, of, of education. I'm not talking about two years of public accounting experience. I'm not talking about passing a comprehensive exam. I'm saying let's just do four simple things. Let's do four simple counting exercises. We need to learn how to count loss. We need to learn how to count days. We need to learn how to count costs and we need to learn how to count blessings and counting loss is the first thing that we need to talk about today the apostle Paul is a CPA amen and he shows us not only that we do need to count loss and how to count it but he shows us why it's so important. Amen. And so when you and I, when we look at, when we look at Philippians chapter three, we go back and the apostle Paul says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me for verse one to write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. He says it's a, it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs. <laughs> Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. He's talking about the Jews. He says we're, we're the ones who the Jews, we who worship by the uh, spirit of God. We, we glory in Christ Jesus and we put and who put no confidence in the flesh. Amen. What the apostle Paul is saying is, you know what? We're those that have a Jewish background might be mutilators of the flesh because they're talking about circumcision on the uh, on the on the outside but romans 2 and 29 says but he is a jew who is one inwardly and the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. The, the apostle Paul is saying, listen, I know there's some people that will try to tell you that there's a priority over religion instead of what? Relationship. He says, I just want to let you know that, that there are people that are putting confidence in, in their privileges of choice and their privileges of birth. He said, but that's not what makes it in the kingdom. Amen. He's saying, listen, I need you to watch out for those people that would prioritize religion over relationship. He says, listen, we're the ones we said, he said, we're the ones who are the circumcision, who are what, who worship the spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus. He's giving you, he's walking it down. This is who circumcised. Amen. It doesn't matter what the outward circumcision is. He said the people that are circumcised are the ones that who do it by the spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. Don't you love the apostle Paul? The apostle Paul in so many passages brags without bragging. Brags, brags and says, I, I shouldn't be doing this, but let me just walk it down for you. He says, if anybody would think that his stuff don't stink, come on somebody. He said, it would be me. He said, let, let, let me, let me run it down for you. I've, I've got some, some things that I want to tell you. I, I've got, uh, some reasons that I could boast. Privileges of birth 
and privileges of choice. I've got a background. I've got a pedigree. If I wanted to brag about my religious background, I could. He said, let me, let me tell you who I am. Just, he said, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He said, listen, let me tell you. There's some folks that, that, that come into the, come into the Jewish game. They, 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 they come in, they, they're converts, circumcised. Eighth day. That means I'm born into this. That's a privilege of birth. He says, let, let me tell you. So, so I've been in it fr- from the beginning. So I could, I could brag about saying I was circumcised because my p- parents, my parents also are Jewish. So, so again, circumcised on the day, eighth day, people of Israel, chosen people, tribe of Benjamin. He, 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 he's throwing the tribe of Benjamin out there too. Cause that's where he's from. The tribe of Benjamin is the tribe that stayed faithful to the kingdom of Judah along with the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Benjamin is where they got their first king from. And, and King Saul, so he's kind of letting you know. I got a pedigree. I'm from the right tribe too. Yeah, I'm a ch- I'm a child of Israel. Yeah, I'm a Hebrew. Yep, got that. But I'm also from the tribe of Benjamin, the faithful tribe, the tribe that gave you the first king, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Amen. In regard to the law of Pharisee, you could not go further in terms of uh, of legalistic expression. That to be a Pharisee. He says, I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. Matter of fact, in, in, in Acts, he talks about the fact that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a, who was a, a famous teacher. And, and so he says, I'm, I'm in this thing. Amen. As, as it relates to, uh, it relates to the law, a Pharisee. He says, I'm in church every week. Wednesday night, Bible study. Thursday night, choir practice Friday night live service Saturday night preparation in this Sunday morning in Sunday school Sunday afternoon in in Baptist training you whatever it is he says I'm there if you want to know about zeal I got it I'm a Pharisee as it relates to what persecuting the church he said for zeal persecuting the church I I was I was the one who was out there when I thought that some kind of way that they were somehow co-opting a religion and, and doing something that would be uh, harmful to the Jewish people. I was the one that was going out killing Christians. You didn't do that. Zeal persecuting the church. And he says, as it comes to legalistic righteousness, faultless. The apostle Paul didn't say he was sinless. He said he was faultless, which means that whatever the law required, Whatever sacrifice he was supposed to make, whatever time he was supposed to show up at a festival, the Apostle Paul said, I did everything that the law required to cover sin. Faultless. And then he starts counting. And I love how he counts because when you need to count loss, here's a word that you need to know. Whatever. But whatever was what? To my prophet, I now consider loss 
for the sake of Christ. Nobody says the word whatever better than my good friend and brother Tim Cross. Nobody. Nobody makes me laugh harder than when I will tell him something and he will say, look, brother, whatever. Whatever. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying to all of his privileges of birth and all of his privileges of choice that he could have enjoyed. He says, I'm considering that loss now. Amen. I'm counting it as loss, whatever to that. Do you know how hard it would be? It has to be when you build up a life and a pedigree and you and you build up things and then to discover that all of those things are literally worthless. The Apostle Paul says, I didn't discover they were worthless. I'm counting them as worthless. I'm counting them as loss. Whatever was to my, come on, he's being financial. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Listen, when you have a balance sheet for a company, you have your own personal balance sheet, every once in a while you'll have to submit that to a bank for a loan or, or, or something like that. If you're in a company, you got your assets on the left side, you got your liabilities on the right-hand side of the balance sheet, and the difference between your assets and your liabilities is your net worth. That's always at the bottom right. That's what you're focused on. What? Am I worth? Not what do you make in salary every year. That's an interesting conversation. Interesting but irrelevant. For so many years, particularly black folks have been so focused on salary, but they don't, they don't think about net worth. They don't think about wealth. Amen. The apostle Paul is saying, listen, I got assets, you got liabilities, and I got this here that, that's, that's worth. The apostle Paul says, I had some assets. On my balance sheet that contributed to what I thought was worth. But the Apostle Paul says, I have done a journal entry where I have a journal entry where I debit loss on disposition and I credit fixed assets. And when you credit fixed assets, that means you've removed assets from the left side of the balance sheet. That means as you remove the assets, your net worth goes lower and lower and lower because it's assets minus liabilities. The apostle Paul said, I wrote all of that stuff off. Stuff I thought were assets that built up my self-worth. I wrote it all off. I had to take a loss on disposition because I wrote off those fixed Assets, Amen. I, I, I did it because I realized that they were what? Worthless. I counted them as lost. When you realize you have an asset on your balance sheet that no longer is going to be productive, what you're supposed to do is write it off. The Apostle Paul says, everything that was on my balance sheet before I came to Jesus Christ is lost. It's dung. It's nothing. I got to write it off. And I have no worth left. And when you get to that place, you will be like hmm, the man in Matthew chapter 13, hmm, verses 44 through 46. When the Bible says this again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, which when a man found it, he hitteth and for joy goeth and selleth all that he hath 
and buyeth the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. What I'm suggesting to you is this, and this happened at the Apostle Paul's conversion. He realized that what he had was worthless. You've got to have some recognition that what you have is worthless. That by yourself, you have no worth that matters. Because, because the only currency that matters in the kingdom is righteousness. And the apostle Paul, look. Look at what he says. He says, I consider everything lost compared to the suppressing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is actually worthless, which Isaiah says your righteousness is as what is as filthy rags. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law is worthless. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes by God and is by faith. You have got to trade what you will finally consider worthless and exchange it for what is priceless. That's the only way you make the trade. You have to write off what you think is important and realize it's worthless and then trade it for something that is Priceless. You have to realize that when you make that exchange, when you write off everything that that you thought was important, when you write off everything that contributes to your self-worth and you get that down to absolutely zero, then when you make the transaction and you say, literally, I'm going to exchange that for the kingdom, then God credits righteousness to you on the balance sheet, which is the only currency you need for eternity. It's the currency that matters in the kingdom, but you can't get that righteousness unless you write yours off you better learn how to count and count it loss it's loss is it all it's loss it's loss the only currency that matters in the end in that bottom right hand corner is righteousness and you can't, you don't have any. And what your pedigree has and what your pedigree, uh, will show you does not build up righteousness. It only builds up self-worth and self-worth is worthless in the kingdom. The apostle Paul says, listen, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss For the sake of Christ. I've made a transaction at my conversion in Acts chapter nine. I made a, I made a conversion and I realized I had to write that stuff off. And that word about counting is in the perfect tense, which means an, a, 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 a a action in the past that still has an effect in the present. I counted it lost. And I have to continue to count it lost. It still has to have an effect on me because it's easy for that stuff to creep back on the balance sheet of my mind and think that it's worth it, it, it's worth something. It's not. 
I'm not saying that our pursuits and our talents and our energies and our effort that God gives us is not worth something, but it's only worth something if it's been yoked and put under the, uh, uh, put under the kingdom. Amen. If you're, if you're building kingdom, amen. Matthew seven says that you have to, you have to build up things that will last where moth and rust don't consume and thieves don't break through and steal for where your treasure is. There will your heart be also, you got to build up treasure in heaven, amen? Not treasure on earth. That's going nowhere. That's, again, you and I got to be smart about this thing. We have to learn to count. And when you and I get to a place where we say, again, look at verse 8. He said, what is more, I consider everything a loss. So, what that's really saying is the stuff I told you in verses five and six, that list was exemplary, not exhaustive. He said, I could add everything that I am, everything I pursued, everything that I knew before Christ. It was literally worthless. I had to recognize that it was worthless. I had to reject it and I had to redirect all of my efforts to pursuing the kingdom. So again, what I have is worthless. What God offers is priceless. And the pursuit of the kingdom is flawless. Change your whole mindset around. Change it all around. And so he says, and I considered it all loss. And then what did I gain? The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Just to know him. Just to know him. Jesus Christ. The son of the living God. Oh, how he cares for you, cares for me. I don't know how, but I can't explain it. But the victory is won by the father's only son just to know him. Isn't that what the apostle Paul told us in Ephesians 3? He said, I want you to know Christ. I need you to, I need you to know him. And I I specifically need you to, to get, get, get a grasp on, on his, what? His love. Amen. He says that you may have the power together with all saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasseth knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He said, I just, I need you to understand you need to know them, know him. He says, I have lost all things. He said, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. He says, it's garbage to me. He calls it dung. It's ex, it's excrement. Stuff that just needs to be flushed and moved away. You don't save your dung. Come on, somebody, when it comes out. You don't put it in the refrigerator. You don't try to serve it to other folks. You don't try to eat it yourself. You, you see some, you're supposed to do what? You flush it, you throw it away. If, if it's outside, you avoid it. Amen. Amen. They, they, they got rules and laws now too that if you walk in your little pet and your pet has some dung, they tell you, pick that up and throw, nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to be around that. He says, that's how I feel about my life before Christ. He says, all of the things that I was pursuing were, were worthless. They were, they were dung. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And he says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my, of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And then he says this. 
I want to know Christ. I want to know him. Power of his resurrection. Fellowship of his suffering. Being made conformable unto his death. I want to know him. He says all of the other stuff I was pursuing was was garbage. It was loss. I had a loss on disposition. I wrote those assets off because they were worthless. The only thing that matters is the pursuit of knowing Christ. And if you know him, then you love him. Amen. If you're going to learn to love him, you got to learn to appreciate. If you're going to learn to love him, you got to learn to count. And the first thing you and I need to count is we need to count everything before Christ. Everything that is away from the kingdom. Everything that does not give us the righteousness that God uh, desires in our lives. We have to count it as loss. And I'm not saying that you can gain righteousness you, the, the transaction is we take Christ's righteousness. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So again, we build upon the foundation. First Corinthians uh, three tells us this. We build upon that foundation, gold and, and silver and precious stones instead of wood, hay and stubble. We're supposed to be building up that. We're supposed to be building up that lower right hand side of that balance sheet. We build upon that in terms of what we're doing for the kingdom, that it's an active faith that we can be rewarded for. Amen. So that that becomes our pursuit. That becomes our focus. He says, I, I, I need to, but I need to know him. I need to know the person of Jesus Christ. Didn't we say that if you're going to learn to love him, it has to be learn to love the Lord, thy God. You have to have an encounter with him. Amen. You have to have experience with him to know him does not mean to know his name. It does not mean to know a few facts about him. Yeah, he was a man, Jesus Christ, that walked the earth uh, about 2000 years ago. Yeah, he had a following. He was Jewish. He was from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. Those are facts. You can quote facts all day, but you better know him. And that means you have to know him by experience, not just some some details about him. I think the saddest one of the the couple of saddest verses in scripture are in Matthew chapter seven. This is Jesus in the sermon on on the mount. He says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me, not a few. Many will say, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name we cast out devils and in thy name we did many wonderful works and then I will profess unto them I never knew you depart from me ye that work iniquity oh my gosh can you imagine it's like going to a club and, and, and you're supposed to be on the VIP list and you told all your friends, come, because my boy Kevin throwing the party. My boy Kevin, oh, I know I'm on the VIP because 
you know, Kevin knows me. I know Kevin. I know I'm on the VIP. And you get there and they're looking for your name. And it's like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, peace out. I, I, I'm here for Kevin. Yeah. Peace. Would, would it be under something else? Oh, well, okay. Yes. Okay. Look under Chris then. Look. No. Can't get in. Everybody he knows is on this list. And you're not here. Must be some mistake. I don't know what to tell you. And the cats that are there are big and they got earpieces and it's a lot of them. And you can't just bust into this place. But you got to get out of here. Come on, somebody. Help me. Help me. He said, depart. I never knew you. The apostle Paul says, I got to know him. Which means I got to know the person. And he says, ooh, once I know the person... I got to know the power. He says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Now we're talking about real power. We're talking about resurrection power. Do you know how much power you need to have to be able to resurrect somebody from life, uh, from death to life? That's real power. The, the power, listen, in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, it says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe i'm a believer and when you're a believer you have incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. he said that power that power is for you that power that resurrection power that's for you and then ephesians 3 20 says now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above what you ask or think according to the power that works in us. Amen. That power is for us. That power is in us. If you're a believer, I'm a believer. The apostle Paul says you better get to know him, the person, but you better get to know the power, that resurrection power. That power is for you. That power is in you. And he can do exceedingly and abundantly above all you ask or think. But you got to get to know him. You got to get to know him. And to get to know him, you have to trade what is actually worthless for what's actually priceless. And if you don't understand it's worthless, you won't make the trade. But the apostle Paul says you better learn how to count because everything you're doing, everything you're pursuing that does not bring about the righteousness, which is by faith, should be written off of your balance sheet. It's worthless. And exchange it so that you know him, not just the power, not just the person, not just the power. He says you better get to know the persecution as well. You say, wait a minute, I, I, I didn't sign up. I didn't sign up for that. I understand, but it's on the list. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I want to know him. And the power is ready. not the fellowship of his sufferings. I didn't, I didn't sign up for the fellowship. But he says, if you don't know about the persecution, then you don't know him. Amen. Philippians 1, the apostle Paul had already told them earlier in Philippians 1, 27 through 30. He says, again, whatever, whatever happens. 
conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whenever I, whatever I, whether I come to see you, only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those that oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved in that by God. For it has been granted you. It's a privilege. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Ooh. I wish the apostle Paul didn't put such a fine point on it. I wish there wasn't verse 29 in Philippians 1, but he puts a fine point on it. It's in the book. He says, not only do I, I want you to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul says, I'm struggling and I'm suffering. And he said, you're going to do the same thing. I need you to stand. I need you to signal to other people. I need you to strive. I need you to stand. I need you to strive. I need you to signal. I need you to suffer. And I need you to struggle. That's part of the Christian walk. Those are what those verses say. Hey, I want you to stand firm. I, I, I want you to strive together. I want you to signal to those that are around you that you ain't scared of them. Signal to them. Let them know who you're rolling with. You say, I roll with the J. I roll with the C. I roll with the Father. And the Father rolls with me. You got to signal that to them. And then he says, you will suffer. And then you will struggle. Those things are a part of the Christian life. He says, you better get to know him, the person, and the power of his uh, of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. That's why Romans says not only so we glory in tribulation because tribulation, <laughs> we know that that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character, hope and hope does not put us to shame. He says, because the love of God is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He says, there's a process that happens, a, a process of perfection that happens when you go through, through tribulation. So embrace it, because when you do that, you get to know him. And last but not least, he said, I want to know him. Power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. I want to know the person, the power, the persecution. I want to know the perishing of Jesus Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The apostle Paul says you got to know that he died so that you understand that you have to die daily. Who are you dying for? You're not dying for anybody. He already paid the price for sin. You're dying to something. What are you dying to? You're dying to self every day. You're counting it as a loss every day. Self always wants to get back on the balance sheet. Self always wants to rear his head and say, I, I, I'm important. And, and this self-motivation and self-will, those are the things that matter. And he's like, dude, I got to count. That's loss. I'm counting. Just like the count on Sesame Street. One, two, three, four. Counting it. 
I got to count it loss and I have to continue to count it loss. And I'm tapping into the understanding that Christ died and therefore I have to die. What daily to myself, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. In Galatians 2, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And finally, 2 Corinthians says we are troubled on every side, <laughs> but not distressed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about the body in the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. He says, we're carrying around the death of Jesus Christ with the understanding that we have to die so that he might live. For which, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Christ's sake, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our mortal flesh. Listen, you got to know him and know him well, not just facts about him, not just that he lived, that he died. You got to experience him. You have to have an encounter with him, an encounter that can revive your faith, an encounter that can renew your, your love and, 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 and revive your hope. You got to have an encounter with God through Jesus Christ. You got to know him. And then you can know not just the person, but the power. Not just the power, but the persecution. Not just the persecution, but the perishing. He says, if you can do that, you will be a Christian practicing accountant. You'll be a CPA. You'll be a CPA. You have some letters after your name. Christopher Sally, CPA. Christian practicing accountant. Because I know how to count. I know how to count loss. And I will trade everything that I thought was good about my life. Everything that I thought was going to bring me self-righteousness. I trade that for the only currency in the kingdom that matters. The righteousness that comes from God. And I'm going to build up my balance sheet with a purpose. Because I'm going to do it for the kingdom. Because I learned how to 